Well, I certainly hope that today you're wanting to be refreshed, and we're going to be refreshed today. That's what I want. I want to be refreshed. I like being refreshed in all kinds of ways. Being cooped up all winter in the house and all this kind of fake air or whatever it is, it's like a bad trick somebody plays on us. You come to Nebraska in the spring or summer and you say, this is a good place to be. And then winter comes. I love the refreshing, like a day like today, to walk outside and just, oh, it's nice, it's beautiful, it's refreshing. If you're trying to hire people, get them to come to Nebraska like this week, because then the dirty trick is going to come later. It's amazing. We're going to be re- refreshed today because we're going to hear from Jesus. There's nothing more refreshing than that. There are so many opinions about Jesus. I heard opinions today about Jesus that had nothing to do with Jesus and his priorities. And it just creates this winter-like terribleness, I guess. I don't know. I want to be refreshed. I want to have Jesus holding the microphone, so to speak. Jesus speaking. So many opinions. It's great to know that Jesus came here and Jesus spoke and he spoke with clarity so that we can understand him so that we could be refreshed and so that we can as he said know the truth and be set free by the truth and so that's a great reason to study the bible together it's a great reason to be in the gospels together today we're going to be in the 12th chapter of the gospel according to john and we're going to be refreshed by Jesus speaking. I guarantee you that if you listen today, you'll be able to be refreshed and leave better equipped to not be misled, to not be lied to, misguided, but also to be better equipped to help other people and being refreshed by the truth, the truth that comes from Christ. Our context is in chapter 12, and chapter 12, things are really shifting. Jesus has been emphasizing, focusing on the Jews and and proclaiming who he is to the Jews, and they've been rejecting him, rejecting him, rejecting him, and now he's about ready to go to the cross, and he's going to focus, the Gentile focus is going to come in. And in chapter 12, when all of this is happening, and it's time for the passion, as we say, Some Gentiles come, some Greeks come, and they say, we want to see Jesus. And strangely enough, Jesus ignores them. He ignores them because it's time to go to the cross now. He also ignores them because they're going to hear the truth about Jesus in due time from the disciples, but now it's his perfect timing to go to the cross. But what's so interesting to me is, He doesn't go to see them as they wanted to see him and vice versa. But what he does do is he speaks with great clarity about who he is. So that in time they can see him. And in time we can see him. So today we can see Jesus for who he really is because we're going to hear Jesus explain who he really is. And so our text is chapter 12 verses 20 and following. Uh, and we began looking at it last time, and what we're doing by way of an outline, if you'd like one this morning, uh, just capturing the big ideas, 15 realities about Jesus that help us to see him for who he really is. Okay, 15 realities about Jesus that help us, helps us to see him for who he really is. We looked at the first seven last time, we'll do eight this morning. As you can tell, I've had my coffee. We will go quickly and rapidly, but it should be refreshing. 
Okay? The first seven from last time, I'll just go rapid fire. Jesus is the Son of Man. Number two, Jesus is the man of the hour. Number three, Jesus is to be glorified. Number four, Jesus is the great fruit bearer. Number five, Jesus is the giver of eternal life. Number six, Jesus is the troubled one. Number seven, Jesus is the obedient son. So that was verses 22 to 27-ish. What am I going to do to get warmed up? (laughs) Okay, eight realities about Jesus from Him designed to help you and whoever else see Him for who He really is. Number eight, Jesus is the pleasing Son. He is the pleasing Son. Look with me there if you would. Chapter 12, verse 28. Jesus says, Father, glorify Your name. We looked at that last time. What then comes from the Father? Notice there in verse 28, then a voice came from heaven, this is his father, and the voice says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Conclusion, Jesus is the pleasing son. Jesus prays to his father, glorify your name. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to do the hard thing. And the response from the father is, I have glorified my name. In and through you. Jesus, you've done all the right things. From day one, you've always been doing the right thing. You've been glorifying my name as the one sent by me. And, he goes on to say, and I will glorify it again. Because Jesus is heading to the cross. So he's been glorified in his life. He's going to be glorified in everything. He's going to be glorified with that exclamation point, if you will, even through, to borrow from Paul, death on a cross. He is the pleasing son. He's the obedient son, but he's also the pleasing son, or we might say the glorifying son. John chapter 10 verse 17 said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I I obey my Father. I'm here sent to do something, and I'm going to do what I'm sent to do. He is the pleasing Son. And by way of application, I want to say to you and remind you, that's why you want to be united to the Son by faith. That's why you want union with Christ. You want to believe in Christ so that you're united to Him. He's your representative because He is the one who glorifies the Father. It's the right question in the, in the old verbiage of Christians uh, who've gone before us, who in catechisms have said, in teaching tools, what is our chief end? What's our ultimate goal? What do we exist to do here as human beings? And the answer, if it's a good answer, is always something like to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what we're made to do, to glorify God. If you say, God, I want to glorify you today, that's the right prayer request. But the reality is, naturally speaking, even though it's the right thing, naturally speaking, no one in this room does. Because we're all sinful. Because we're unrighteous. And so I love to hear the Father speaking to the Son, saying, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it. 
You are the glorifying son, the pleasing son. And then I want to say, remember, that's why we believe in him, why we trust in him. So that the father is glorified in us because we're actually united to the son. It's awesome. And fruit of that would be, yeah, now we actually want to do the right things out of gratitude unto him. It's magnificent. It's great. He is the pleasing son. Then it says in verse 29, not so positively, the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of what's happening exactly. To what degree can they understand the words? To what degree can they not understand the words? But if they could understand the words, this is another occasion where two plus two is three. It's like, it's like, what? It's not a positive, whatever it is. It's not, they're coming to the wrong conclusion. If you really want to read the negative, listen to what one reformer said. It was a monstrous thing that the multitude was obtuse, that's a good word, to so plain a miracle. Some were deaf and caught what God had pronounced distinctly only as a confused sound. Others were less dull, but yet detracted greatly from the majesty of the divine voice by pretending that its author was an angel. But the same thing is common today. God speaks plainly enough in the gospel. I like this quote. He speaks plainly enough in the gospel in which there is also displayed a power and energy of the spirit which should have shaken heaven and earth. But many are so cold toward the teaching as if it came only from a mortal man. And others think God's word to be a barbarous stammering as if it were nothing but thunder. Two plus two is three. It's not. And if God speaks, how crazy it is and how tragic it is, we basically say, don't confuse us with the facts. We know what we believe. But here today, we can hear, at least literally, what Jesus says and what the Father says to him. He's the pleasing one. He's the glorifying one. That's who Jesus is. Let's move on to number nine, seeing these realities about Jesus so we can know who he is. Jesus is the victorious son. He is the victorious son. Verse 30 says, Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. I know I've glorified the father. He didn't need to tell me this. It's for your sake, which actually leads to us seeing those folks as culpable, Guilty. But then look at verse 31 regarding the victorious son. I love this. Let's put some emphasis where it belongs, even from the original Greek text. Now is the judgment of this world, Jesus says. Now is the ruler of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The cross might seem like Satan's triumph, but the cross is actually Satan's defeat, right? He is the victorious son. 
ruler of this world, Satan, using world, uh, world's used in a lot of different ways in the gospel accounts, even by John, world as in broken, corrupt, perverse, unjust system. Okay? No doubt that's what he means here. Now he is going to be defeated. Now the ruler of this world is going to be put down. We're not going to go there, but 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 would be a great cross-reference. Now is the time of victory. Now is when Satan will be defeated. My question for you is, is Satan defeated today? It's kind of a trick question, right? Based upon what Jesus says, he's been defeated. Now is when it's going to happen. Now is when this is going to happen. And he's referring to what he's doing. Okay? Satan is most certainly absolutely defeated today if Jesus is telling the truth. It's complicated though, right? Because in another sense, we would say, well, he's not defeated. In fact, in 1 Peter, it says he's like a roaring lion, right? On the prowl, seeking someone to devour. This, by the way, why, is why thoughtful Bible teachers and theologians who are looking at all of the data have had to talk about and come up with designations for shorthand and say, this is, this is what we call already and not yet. Okay? And it's not a sleight of hand. It's, that's, a, that, that's a mature way of looking at things. Already and not yet. Paul, Paul talks in these terms in Colossians. Okay? Because Christ's work is central to everything, and because Christ's work is going to be certain and absolute and done, it is a done deal. It is already a reality. Sort of like in Romans 8 when you're, you're called glorified even though you're not glorified. But it's already not yet. We're, we're waiting to see it in its carrying out. But, but it's because the work of Christ is done. And, and He's the one to do it. So it's already, we might say, as good as done. But we're still waiting for, for the shackles to be removed, so to speak. He is the victorious Son by the way, even in that First Peter 5 passage, it's fascinating. You don't need to, to go there. But he says, The God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. See, it's not hanging in the balance. Oh, Satan is like this lion and he's seeking someone to devour and he might devour you, Christian. That's not how Peter talks. Peter understands already, not yet. There's real danger. I don't know exactly know how it all fits together. There, you're really to be sober-minded. You're really to be careful. But the reality is, called in Christ Jesus for His eternal purposes, this is going to happen. You're okay. I don't want to get involved in the debate and people go back and forth, so I'm not going to go on record as saying, but it, this has caused some people to say things like, He's a toothless lion. Now, I don't want to say that. But I do want to say, let's, let's just let him have his teeth and claws. And if you're in Christ, the victor, victory is yours. Paul talks about in Romans how that time is coming when we'll smash his head under our boot, so to speak which, by the way, is what Adam should have done to the serpent. 
but we're now united to the last Adam. And so we too are victors. It's exciting, I think. It's done now, now. So when you're going to look to Christ for your significance, regardless of what is happening in your life, you've got to know that because of what he has done, things are settled. How about this? When you're watching the news, listening to the news, your news feed, however you get your news, as you're paying attention to what's going on around you, and you see lying, misrepresentation, unjust things happening, sometimes being called just, you can know this. The scientists aren't going to solve it. The president is not going to solve it. Nothing is going to solve it. Ultimately, all of these wrong things. But you have to know that Jesus, as he's going to the cross, says now and now regarding the ruler of this world, who, by the way, temporarily is in charge of all the injustices and lies and murders. Now and now. Isn't it good? So good. By giving Jesus the microphone, so to speak, today, I have no doubt that we're hearing, whether it soaks in or not, things that are more valuable to us this next week than anything else. Talk about practical. Talk about useful. It's awesome. He's the victorious son. Doesn't mean the problems aren't real. But they're really taken care of. And we're waiting to have it be unmasked, so to speak. The world passes judgment on Jesus to the point of crucifixion. When in reality, the crucifixion is the ultimate judgment on the world, the ruler of this world. Amazing. Let's move on. Number 10. Jesus is the saving son. Jesus is the saving son. Verse 32 says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth... He's been using that. He's already used that. It's for, like in chapter 3, it's for crucifixion. It's this, this strange, ironic again, I keep using that, lifted up. That's exalted. That's for a king. But they even know, and he's already established, lifted up to the cross. Okay? And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That's saving terminology, salvation terminology. I'll draw all people to myself. They're going to believe in me as Savior. Then at 33 it says, He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. He's clearly talking about his death. But notice it is a victorious death. And again, we've got the irony. We've got the what seems to be on the paradoxical level of things. Lifted up, oh, lifted up for death. But in being lifted up for death, he's going to be drawing all people to himself. He's the saving son. That's who he is.
Let me jump in some controversy for a second and help you. Notice he doesn't indicate he's going to make everyone draw a bull in some sort of generic fashion. He says, I will draw. Okay? Tractor beam, for those of you who are into that sort of thing. If you're not, I don't have any other illustrations for right now. <laughs> Through his work, he's going to draw... What did, well, how did our text say it again? I will draw all people to myself. Will draw. Not draw a bull as in save a bull. Draw. Okay? It's like John 10 kind of stuff. The problem is it says all people. And then we say, well, well then everybody's going to be drawn. So then we have decisions to make. We say, well, maybe we should make it drawable because we're not universalists and it says all people. What are you going to do? What I'm going to do is, and we don't need to become enemies over this. If you take a different view, I'm praying for you. <laughs> all people without distinction. Not all people without exception. That's how theologians talk about this. Not all people without, dis without exception, including Pharaoh and Judas. All people without distinction. Oh, and by the way, our context, ah, context is king. Three most important things in Bible interpretation, context, context, and context. We've shifted to dealing with Gentiles, Greeks. This, come up, this came up in chapter 11 as well with the priest. He's not only the savior of the Jews, he's the savior of all. Drawing all kinds of people, not just Jews, but Gentiles too. How about Revelation chapter 5? He is the one, the Lamb, who is slain for people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And in the context there too, it's very, very effectual, effective. This might be rocking your minds. It might not be. I don't know. But we should move on. <laughs> yes, we should. Let's go. N next one, number 11. But, but you know what? Let me, let me just say this. No. Please don't miss the fact. I didn't want to avoid the controversy. But please don't miss the fact that he is the drawing son. And he's successful in doing it. Jesus is not an anemic savior. Jesus doesn't try to save and fail. He is going to the cross. He has glorified his father. He will glorify his father. And he is a saving savior. Don't miss that. Even if you can't connect all the other dots, be impressed with him. He is going to do this. He 
will draw all people to himself. He's extraordinary. There's no one like him. Number 11, Jesus is, we're going to see Jesus for who he is. Jesus is the light. He is the light. Won't be the first time he's referred to himself as the light. Notice verse 34, so the crowd answered him. We have heard from the law that the Christ or the Messiah, the anointed king remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Are they asking good questions? I think they really are. This is, this is helpful. This is good. Daniel chapter 7 would have the Son of Man ruling and reigning forever. So, you know, how, how can he die? How can he die if he rules and reigns forever? Um, we could go to Psalm 89, 35, 36, 37. The one who comes in the line of David, the ultimate Messiah, the ultimate anointed king, the ultimate Christ, rules and reigns without end, forever. They're asking the right questions. How can the forever ruling, rescuing, protecting, providing king who's been long ago promised, how in the world could he die? That's not biblical. And in a sense, they're right. But you see what happens when you only take parts of the Bible and you don't see the whole thing. Half-truths aren't true unless they're seen in light of the whole. Thankfully, Jesus has the microphone. He's been making himself clear that according... And he's going to get into Isaiah. He is the suffering servant who will be crucified, lifted up according to the divine purpose of God, according to that same Old Testament law, and he will be raised up, and he will be vindicated, and he will rule, and he will reign forever and ever for, for without end. But when you only take part, you miss the reality. But I, I like it that they're, they're asking this. But death is also part of the narrative. Substitutionary atonement is part of the narrative. Jesus doesn't give a direct answer yet. Let's keep going. Verse 35. So Jesus said to them, the light, he's referring to himself, chapter 9, chapter 11. The light is among you for a little while longer. The light, the revelation, the illumination, the way to see things clearly. Then he says, walk, as in conduct, as in understand, as in see clearly on this lit path. While you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. spiritually ignorant. If you don't have the light, he's referring to himself as the light. Pay attention to the light or you don't understand. You're in darkness. You're lost. You don't get it. You're going to come to the wrong conclusions. I can't help but go back to the passage. I love to go back and touch. It's the touchstone. Chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God. Pausing for a second, so we just make things up. Or we look around and we look at things and we draw wrong conclusions. 
No one has ever seen God, the only God. And then I'm going to keep reading 118, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And as I've said so many times, literally, he has interpreted him. Oh, see, he's the light. How can we know God? How can we know what God expects? How can we know how God thinks? How can we know what, how, how to be right with God? Jesus, I'm the light. But if you don't embrace me as the light so that you can see things, you're going to be in darkness. This is why we say, in order to understand God, this is why we have to say, there aren't many paths, many lights. We don't say, oh, it's follow the light within you. Follow your heart. No, Jesus is the light. So we've got to hear Him, we've got to see Him, and then we can know who God really is. And then, then everything can make sense. We can draw right conclusions. 36, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. When Jesus had said these things, He departed and hid Himself from them. Wait, that was quick, Right? Pay attention to the light while the light's here. See ya. Now, but he, he's been very long-suffering and patient, and he's been speaking and explaining these things again and again and again and again, and now things are, are shifting. But, but for us, and, and we try to be thoughtful and considerate and caring, and we do our best to be politically correct, but then we end up saying Jesus is the way to God. Because Jesus interpreted God for us. And guess what? No one else has ever come from heaven to do that. So why wouldn't you believe in the light? Jesus says, believe in the light while you can. Okay, let's move on. Number 12. Jesus is the rejected one. He is the rejected one. 37 says, though he had done so many signs before them, including raising... Microphone's on this side. Including raising the dead. Right? <clears throat> including raising the dead? Yeah. Chapter 11. Though he had done so many signs before them, and not like, oh, I can see one leg is longer than the other, and I've, you know... This, this is not hucksterism. But notice what it says in 37. They still did not believe in him. The nonsense of unbelief for these folks. Oh, here is Jesus, eyewitnesses, again and again and again and again, and here's what he's done. He's not a phantom, not in a dream became flesh to the point where we touched him as a human race. And now I'm not going to I'm not going to believe in him. Okay then. It's not the evidence. It's never the evidence. It's always the heart. And this is par for the course. This isn't the first time Israel's done this. This is like a pattern for the nation of Israel. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy 29 too. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. These are historical events. 
and great trials uh, that your eyes saw and signs that signs and those great wonders. Verse four. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Two plus two is still three. Yeah, but if God would just you show me. It's not true. It's never true. Now for a bit of a surprise. And if you squirmed earlier about all without distinction versus all without exception, you might squirm again. 38 of chapter 12. This is the rejected son. 38 says, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So they don't believe and hear so that the word by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed that he, what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord, his power been revealed? Quoting Isaiah 53, 1. Hmm. We're going to see more and we're going to say more. But the idea here is to see and to observe, oh, so Jesus is rejected because somehow he's rejected because the purposes and plans of God have been thwarted and stopped. Here's how I want to respond. Not a chance. Not a chance. No, Jesus is being rejected. Not by everyone. We're going to see believers. But here, they saw these things and they did not believe. They refused to believe. And Jesus says, this is so that what was prophesied by Isaiah would be true. Wow. 39 says, therefore, uh uh-oh, hold on to your hats. Therefore, they could not believe. That's like John chapter 20, uh, John chapter 10, verse 26. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. (sighs) Therefore, they could not believe. Now, in chapter 19, which we're not going to go to today, one thing we see for sure, they're held accountable. It's not that they're not accountable. And maybe just to go super fast and try to connect some dots for you if you're new to this whole thing. People are sinful to begin with and worthy of condemnation, okay? We're not born good. We don't start out good. We're in Adam, united to Adam. We're born sinful and we deserve condemnation. So for God to do nothing and condemn everyone would be fair. And sometimes in the Bible, that's what happens. Sometimes there's a further hardening that happens. What's amazing is not that any of those things happen. We should expect those things. What's amazing is that anyone would believe and be saved. I hope that helps. If it doesn't, happy to talk at length. These are big deals. You kind of get the idea that maybe this is why people don't preach the Bible. Right? I forgot who it was. Somebody said to me, you know, every time you talk about these things, you know, what about giving? (laughs) That's not why we're here, my friends. It's not why we're here. We are here to give Jesus the microphone 
so that we're not all functioning idolaters. Having created a Savior in our own image according to our own liking and then bowing down and worshiping it. The the God we're talking about, though, is not manageable. Okay? The God we're talking about, the Savior we're talking about, is, is not domesticated like your dog. Sit, speak, roll over. Here's a treat. He's, he's not like that. He, he's the God who has never been seen and he has made himself known by sending his son and coming here and he has interpreted God to you. And yes, it might mean I don't like it. But that's a wonderful place to be. Hopefully on the road toward, I need help. I need a savior. I need Jesus, the one who effectively, effectually draws. Because if it's up to me, two plus two is three. See? This is great. This is wonderful to to, to maybe not have categories for all of these things. But to know that Jesus isn't rejected because the plan is failing. No, this is according to prophecy, Isaiah 53. Let's keep going. How about verse 39 of chapter 12? 39 goes on to say, For again Isaiah said, now Isaiah 6.10, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Things that make you go, hmm, Don't believe I would have made up a God like that. I do remind you again, people are bad to begin with. God didn't have to make them bad. But this is like double judgment. A judgment of withdrawal, if you will. Jesus is the rejected one. But please know that he is the rejected one according to divine purpose. He needs to be crucified to provide atonement for our rebellion. This is, this is wild stuff, isn't it? It makes me think, sometimes people say, well, I, I don't want to know all this stuff. I just want to worship God. You know what? We're, we're, we're hearing from someone who can elicit worship. Because he is so much not like us. It's not even funny. When we worship fellow human beings, it's gross. We're talking about the God-man, the one true Jesus Christ. There's something awe-inspiring about him. And he loves us and gives himself up for us. Too good. Okay, number 13. Yeah, we need to finish this, don't we? Jesus is the prophesied one. He is the prophesied one. 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. We're never going to get done with this. We we, we are, but I mean, look at that. Isaiah said these things, Jesus says, Because he, Isaiah, saw his, Jesus is, sorry, glory and spoke of him, spoke of Jesus. 
Chapter 52, verse 13, high and lifted up. That would be one possible text we could go to. Isaiah saw the glory of Christ. How can that be? Well, that, that, that can be because of inspiration, because of, of how, how things are put together, because of supernatural things happening, whether it's Isaiah seeing or it being recorded. See, that we're admitting we're supernaturalists. It could also be if there is one great divine purpose. Right? If there's, ultimately history has been and is moving toward the ultimate who is Christ. Isaiah was not in it for Isaiah's sake. Isaiah was not in it ultimately for his countrymen's sake. The ultimate objective of everything, the ultimate anticipation, I like to use that word, that trajectory has always been moving toward, you know, everything's leaning toward, if you will, the grass has just been growing that way. To be silly about it. Christ, the pleasing one, the honoring one, the glorifying one, the saving, atoning one. Isaiah saw his glory. That is pretty amazing. Sadly, Israel rejected Isaiah's prophecies. But sadly, here's what I want to say. They're, they're rejecting them now. Right? What are they doing? They're saying, hey, uh, you know, according to the Bible, this is how Messiah is going to be. And Jesus is now saying, Isaiah saw my glory. You want to talk Bible? I'm going to give you your prophets. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting too, in, the, in the, the, the twist of things, and I don't think this is on accident, that now we're to the point where we just had Greeks come to Jesus and saying to his disciples, we want to see Jesus. And the Jews can't see Jesus in their own book. Spiritual blindness is a terrible thing. Whether it's then or now. Please don't think for a second that you, you can, um, that, 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 that such things can't happen now. We read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. It's about all kinds of bizarre things other than the ultimate glory of the ultimate one who is ultimately Christ. He saw his glory and spoke of him. Hmm. Inexplicable. 14. Jesus is the object of faith. 42 says, nevertheless, all this unbelief is happening. Tons of unbelief, 38 and 39. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. My only question to you is, isn't that interesting? I think we could be here all day long and debate, 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 debate. Are they really believers? Are they not believers? I don't know. 
It's complicated. I think what we're at least intended to see for now, because these aren't the only, if they're believers, they're not the only stealthy believers. We're going to see stealthy believers in chapter 19. Plus, things are still unfolding. Where they land, I don't know exactly. But I think here's what we're meant to see. Unbelief, 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 unbelief. And you know what? Even among those who for sure, for sure, for sure shouldn't believe, there were some believing. And it's the gospel of belief. This is what you're supposed to do. What happens to them later, I don't know. But Jesus is the object of faith. Let's move on. More to say about that, but we're going to move on for now. Finally, number 15, Jesus is the revelation of God. You can do this one easily. 44 says, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever, so loud cry, whoever believes in me, which is what the call has been throughout the whole gospel account. Whoever trusts in me, whoever rests in me for salvation, eternal life, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Now, if you take that literally, he just contradicts himself. But if you take that normally, according to context and big picture, that's not a contradiction. See what I mean? Whoever believes in me, believes not in me. That doesn't make sense. Big picture, whoever believes in me, which is what he's been telling people to do for eternal life, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. What's the idea? I'm not a rogue prophet. I'm not making this stuff up. For 11 and a half, 12 chapters, believe in me for life. Come to me for life. For me for eternal life. Believe in me for eternal life. It's been on and on and on and on. And now he's saying... When you do that, it's coming from the Father. You're not only believing in me, you're believing in Him who sent me. In other words, I'm the pleasing Son who comes under authority. I am the revelation of God. Then, 45, and whoever sees me, sees Him who sent me. Notice all the revelation terms. Sees. 46, I have come into the world. Revelation as light. Revelation so that whoever believes. Okay? All without distinction. Whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words, revelation, and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Like back in chapter 3, verse 18. If you don't believe, you're judged already. 48 says, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words, that's revelation talk, has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken revelation talk on my own authority. Here's what he's been getting at. This is what he uh, launched into. But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. See, he's under the Father's authority. He's not a rogue prophet. 50 says, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. We're in this together. I've been preaching eternal life and eternal life comes from him. What I say, therefore, revelation talk, therefore I say, revelation, as the Father has told me. Revelation under authority and in concert with his Father. He is the revelation, independent? No. He is therefore the revelation of 
God is what he's saying. I love, I love, I love, I love the fact that the Greeks came to the disciples and said, we want to see Jesus. And while he ignores them, he doesn't. Because we have all now seen Jesus for who he really is. And by God's grace, we would respond to his loud call, belief. Because believing in Him, resting in Him, not yourself, brings eternal life. It doesn't get any better. It just absolutely doesn't get any better. God, help us to remember at least 5.38% of this by the time we unlock our cars. And the world will change. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the delight that is ours in Christ. Thank you that salvation is of the Lord. Thank you that you equip us through even a time like this so that we might be more faithful ambassadors. Thank you that salvation is not through being a faithful ambassador. Thank you that salvation is of the Lord. And thank you that you've made yourself clear through your, you have made yourself so clear through your son. Encourage us. Allow us to remember. Allow us to worship because you and you alone are worthy. The unique, one and only triune God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.